Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And before we begin, we'd like to do a quick plug for expert advice for Z. You know, being in Poughkeepsie, we really have access to some of the greatest minds on Z. And what we want to do is make sure that you get an opportunity to talk to those people as well. How do we do that, Jeff? Oh, we do this with this thing called Expert Advice for Z. You go to ibm.biz slash Z underscore consult, and you fill out this little web form that says, hey, uh, this is who I am. I'm stuck doing this right now. I'd like some help. Uh, this is the best way to contact me, and this is when I'm available. And IBM will contact uh, an expert and say, hey, get in touch with this person and help them get unstuck. It's not a replacement for opening up defects or for your IBM rep. It's just something else to help you get unstuck. And you got to know that these are our kind of people, people who have been on the show, people like Anthony Sevilla or Rosalind Radcliffe. Yeah, real real people who want to help you get unstuck, who are just kind of interested in technology and uh, good people, just all around good people. So yeah, that's not us. Not us. They uh, they haven't tapped us yet. But our guest today might be one of those people who gets tapped. I'll come back to that in a second. Let me just repeat. Expert advice for Z. That's expert advice for Z. IBM.biz slash Z underscore consult. And our guest today is Dave Fallis, Graham Poobah. Oh, no. Of WebSphere <laughs> on Z. I am not the Graham Poobah <laughs> okay. anything much. Um, actually, I own uh, Java Batch in WebSphere. So, so that one's mine. Websphere on Z. There's, there's other people, but I'm, I'm a designated minion, so <laughs> I can talk about it. Well, and you've been doing Websphere on Z since you had brown hair. Yeah, that far back. Um, <laughs> I, I prefer to go with since before my son was born. Okay. <laughs> He's in college now. <laughs> Sometimes those um, two things go hand in hand. hand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, yeah. So, um, actually, Websphere had its twentieth birthday this year according to however they're counting these things. Um, so, uh, yeah, there was a lot of 20th anniversary stuff. It was pretty cool. That's, and that's why we, we decided to have it now. We have that 20th anniversary. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. People were wondering what all those streamers were for. And we yeah. figured, you know, we might as well do an episode <laughs> on it. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, when we go out and talk to developers and, you know, younger people and you tell them you work on WebSphere, they're like, oh, yeah, that's been around for a long time. <laughs> but then you go to, and they're looking at something, you know, newer and glitzier, but you go to, like, a mainframe conference like Share, and you talk to the people there, and they could say, WebSphere? Oh, that new thing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it all so, depends on perspective. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's go back 20 years ago. People were listening to uh, the Beastie Boys Intergalactic. Uh, Closing Time by Semisonic, and uh, Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. That was a good time. Yeah, it was, it was a different time. What <laughs> what sparked the, the thing that said, you know, we need to make this thing called WebSphere? We, you know, this, this demands its own special direction. Um, well, it actually started out as something called Component Broker. <laughs> um, and uh, actually, I interviewed somebody, and they said, so what are components, and how do you broker them? And I said, it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a product name. Don't get carried away. But... Uh, if it, if it ain't broke or don't fix it. Oh, no. yes. Thank you. Um, it's, it's Monday morning. It is. Uh, anyway, so um, the idea was to enable you to write um, distributed uh, objects so that you could um, kind of get away from some of the more traditional programming models and into some of the um, more object-oriented things. And there was a whole distributed object move at the time. Um, with Corba, that's where it really started. That's all long oh, gone. Yeah. But uh, 
But it, it, you know, it's WebSphere's evolved a lot. I mean, originally it was C plus plus objects. There was no Java in there anywhere, and um, so we switched over and started a JVM inside inside the servant region. And you know, it's just kept growing and evolving as we got into Java Enterprise Edition. Um, you know, we've continued to pick up support for the ever changing you know things that are inside there, um, and and now of course that's branched off into Jakarta. Um, and so that's all gotten very complicated. Um, and, you know, we're still here. And, and, of course, you know, if I'm doing the quick overview of the history, about five years ago, we completely reinvented the whole thing in Liberty. Um, and so now the, the classic WebSphere is, is officially WebSphere traditional with a lowercase <laughs> t. I was told by the lawyers that's important. Um, okay. <laughs> so there's WebSphere traditional, which is a thing that's been around for 20 years and is still, you know, heavily used in a lot of, a lot of really – mission-critical environments, and Liberty, which is, you know, also being used, but not not nearly as much, although it's growing a lot. Yeah, and will probably grow a lot more quickly, right? Yeah. So, um, I, I don't want to spend too much time on, on WebSphere itself, um, because it's pretty much the same on every platform, right? Well, yeah, that's sort of the point, was that um, by supporting the Java programming model and the Java EE programming model and all that, you could write your application programs and then run them on whichever platform made the most sense. Um, and you could also, to an extent, you could develop it, you know, on Windows or Linux or wherever, and um, and then run it on Z if that platform made the most sense for the application or, you know, for the business needs or, or whatever. I mean, if your application touches data sets or, you know, <laughs> things like that, then okay, fine. But um, but a lot of stuff, um, even things that you know touch kicks or DB two or things like that, can can run remotely and be tested remotely, but go into production on Z um, because that's where you know it may make the most sense for them. Right. It depends. Um, so so just a quick thing on the difference between um, WebSphere traditional the small T and Liberty. Right. Traditional was was a, a true. Um, enterprise edition model, right? A J2E model. Liberty isn't so much. Oh no, Liberty's. Yeah, Liberty actually had Java EE seven support before traditional was did. Oh really? Um, and it's got Java EE eight support now, which I uh, I'm going to get in trouble here. I don't think traditional was does. Um, Liberty's been kind of the direction now for a while, and it's when it started, all it had was the you know web stuff, so you could do servlets and things like that. So it was way behind, but um, but we've invested a lot in it over the last few years, and so it's it's a real serious place to put real things. So so um, then explain a little bit because uh, most of our listeners, I think, are more likely to use Liberty than the traditional was. I'm not supposed to say was either, right? No, no. Technically, you're supposed to say WebSphere application server traditional on ZOS. Yeah, that's yeah, not that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, there's no lawyers. It's that like how to Frank this. says NKOTB <laughs> instead of you know new kids on the blog. Uh, this really is an old episode, right? Um, or, uh, is there a question in there somewhere? Or BTO, <laughs> you know. <laughs> This is going to be this is going to be a long session. Uh, well, a, mm. <laughs> that's what editing's for. So, uh, yeah, you don't know Jeff. So, um, Honestly, I did have a question in there. The the WebSphere Liberty, then it's a lighter model than uh, WebSphere traditional. Um, yeah. So by design, um, Liberty is 
smaller, faster, more nimble than than traditional. I, I mean, if you step back far enough, the idea behind traditional WebSphere was that it was everything that you could possibly want as soon as it got finished starting. Liberty is only the things that you actually need. So traditional WebSphere, you didn't configure which features of Java EE you were going to use or whether you were going to use ZOS Workload Manager if you're on Z. It was there, so we used it. Um, Liberty, you have to tell us what features you want. And so because of that, we only start the stuff that you need, and so it comes up much faster. The footprint is much smaller. Um, so, you know, the usual disclaimers about performance, but um, <laughs> applications notwithstanding, you know, you can get a Liberty server up in less than 10 seconds usually where, you know, the traditional server took much longer depending on, you know, your environment and all that. <laughs> um, and, the, you know, the disk footprint's much smaller. The memory footprint is much smaller. Um, and, I mean, it, you know, if you turn all the features on, yeah, it gets big, but you don't need every single feature. So you just turn on the stuff that you want and... Um, and that's what you get, and so it's it's a little more nimble and mm-hmm. agile. But that's that's what's required in a, a cloud like environment. And if you're if you're used to programming uh, and def- you know deploying an application out there in a cloud type environment, it's more than likely not an environment that's a, that has been existed and been up for the last five years. It's mm-hmm. something that's been spun up just for you, something kind of like a, like a Tomcat or Jetty or something like that. So right. that's how I kind of saw it as competing or complementing something like that. Yeah, there's actually a packaging option um, on the server command you can issue that will, it's called minify. And what it does is it looks at your server config and it grabs the chunks of the runtime you need to support that configuration and it creates a, you know, a deployable package that is just that part of the runtime. Because if you're provisioning these things and, you know, making copies of, of it to, you know, spin up, you don't want to be dragging, you know, a couple hundred meg of runtime that you don't need around. You just want to push out the bits that you need. Right. So it, you know, moves faster, stands up faster and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of thought that's gone into trying to make it smoother for those sorts of things. Um, the config itself is a lot easier. The traditional server was it had gotten a little complicated. <laughs> a little um, bit, just a little bit. As, as well, you know, people want to get a lot out of the stuff they spend money on, and so we give them a lot of switches to make it do exactly what they want. And that's great for the first year or two, but after 20 years, you build up a lot of little switches and a lot of confusing behaviors. So Liberty, they've really focused on trying to keep that a lot cleaner. Um, everything defaults. So um, you can put almost nothing in a server config and it'll stand up and, you know, at least be ready to, you know, serve something. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, to get it to do something real, you have to do some telling it what you want. But they spend a lot of time focusing on what default values are to try and pick stuff that at least tries to make sense to somebody. You know, you're always going to upset somebody. But you know. well, and, and you can kind of make those changes on the fly. And Liberty. Yeah, that's another big thing is that um, with developers in mind, they, they deliberately chose to have Liberty watch its own configuration. So if, you know, you're in there doing something and you realize, oh, man, I need to set this option in order to get it to do whatever, you can go into the server config, make the change, and the server will see the configuration, you know, the file gets changed, you know, the date stamp changes, and they go, oh, something changed, and they go scan back through it and figure out what happened and update the server. So within usually a few seconds, whatever you've done has 
been pushed in and off you go and you're not constantly restarting servers or worse trying to remember did it not work because I didn't make the change or did right. it or it didn't matter or was I going to forget to restart the server it's just always running whatever it's the current config is it's more did I save the file or not which <laughs> you know that's much easier to tell so um so that's all pretty cool although you know in production environments everybody turns that off because production environments tend not to, you know, change frequently. There's change windows and you, you all that not. sort of thing. <laughs> so they tend to turn that off because, of course, driving that monitoring in the background uses up a lot of cycles, and so it's it's not a big favorite on, on platforms where they charge you for that. But um, but in development environments, it's great. People love it. Um, and it's easy to just turn off when, when you get to an environment where you don't need it anymore. So you, you said that this runs on every platform. Every platform. Well, that's a big scope. I know they had it running on a Raspberry Pi at one of the conferences. <laughs> yep. um, so what what makes it special on Z? Why should I bother running it on Z? Um, well, so there's, I guess, well, I'll say there's... Feel free to use there's... the quote that you... Uh, that you mentioned to me before. Oh, yes. Um, so uh, someone who will <laughs> remain nameless told us once that... Uh, that because we were running on Z, it was the same code with better quality. Because <laughs> um, that's how that works. <laughs> yeah. So, I, well, and and so you know, in a, in a sense, um, we get a lot of benefits just from being on the platform, and and so um, you know, just the security and the the operational environment that comes with it, the ability to do some of the fancy automation things that people have done over the years. There's a lot that ZOS itself just has as a production environment. That, that makes it a good place to run lots of things that are production, you know, biz, business mission critical stuff. Um, so then on, on top of that, while Liberty or traditional was is from an application perspective the same everywhere, um, we've added things into it to take advantage of the platform and to integrate ourselves more tightly with it because, well, we're here. We may as well do this stuff. So... Um, in, in traditional wise, you got all that magically. Um, in Liberty, of course, you have to ask for it. It's all features that you have to choose to enable because you might not want them. And so we don't want to go out of our way if it's not something you need. Um, so, you know, we have uh, WLM integration. Um, without telling WLM what's going on, a server's just an address space chewing up cycles for some reason. Looks like a batch job or something. And WLM, you know, will manage it as best it can. But if you're running HTTP requests through there, you've probably got some sort of response time goal. And if WLM doesn't see things starting and stopping and has no idea what the response times it's providing are, so it doesn't know how to help. So um, integrating things with WLM, we tell WLM, okay, here's the kind of thing that's running in here, and here's when they start and stop. So WLM can figure out what the response time is, figure out what goal is supposed to go with this work, and do whatever magical WLM things it does <laughs> to try and make that work, well, you know, relative to everything else on the platform platform that's right, running right um we've got um my my favorite topic um is smf records <laughs> um we write an smf 120 record um for all the work that runs in there so all the http requests so the http request comes in you know we record all kinds of stuff and when we send a response out we write an smf record and so you get a lot of detailed information out of that about what happened and when it happened and how much cpu this request used wlm will give you averages in the rmf records 
to show you, you know, oh, in this 15-minute interval, this is the average amount of CPU or whatever. But the WebSphere records will let you go in deeper and say, okay, well, this servlet's using twice as much CPU as it did last week. What happened? Um, so we also have um, integration with, um, well, your security product through the SAF interface, <laughs> um, he said, avoiding the lawsuit. Um, nice. So, um, yeah, so we go through SAF to get to RACF or other security products, and um, that way you can use, you know, your existing ZOS security environment uh, to control access to the, the server and to the applications inside of it. Um, We've got um, integration with console commands. So if you start as a started task, which you probably would in production, um, then we can take modify commands to do a few things um, and a stop command to shut it down. We issue WTOs to let you know what's going on so that your automation can see it and do things. All these little things that hook us into the platform in a, in a way that you'd expect something running on ZOS to behave. What, what's a WTO command? <laughs> So um, that'd be a write to operator. Um, that's a, a message that goes out to the the ZOS console. Um, if you just log messages into a file someplace, automation has a hard time seeing that stuff. Um, but traditionally, WTOs are used to interact with real operators and and also then automation. So um, it's just a little extra stuff that that we do. Um, to, to try and fit in. And you can actually change. We have config in there so you can, you know, if there's a message that's going into one of the log files like it does on all the other platforms, you can tell us, you know, I need this one to be a WTO because my automation cares about it. So That's kind of a cool uh, addition, right, to be able to, to get the system to do some stuff for you automatically. Oh, yeah. I mean, just being able to restart a server that's died without having to call somebody. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you can do it with scripts and things like that other places, but there's a decades of, of tradition and history of people building up automation on Z to manage this kind of stuff. Most shops have all this stuff. It's not a big deal to add another started task in. You can start Liberty from the shell, though. I mean, as a developer, you can be telneted in or SSH'd or whatever you're supposed to do now, and uh, you can issue commands in your shell and get a server that runs, you know, there in your shell. And, you know, it'll still do the ZOS stuff, but... Um, but it's, you know, it feels more like a program you've started from the shell like you would in Linux or anything else. So a developer <clears throat> can interact with it without, you know, it feeling odd. But then, you know, when you decide to go into production, you run it as a started task. All the operations people are comfy with it because it feels like something they're used to. It's an interesting thing trying to, you know, have a, a hand in both, both worlds. worlds. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that it seems like more and more... Um, IBM products are starting to rely on Liberty. Yeah, it really took off. Um, we, ZOSMF was, I think, one of the first ones that, that moved over to it because it ran on, on traditional WebSphere. Um, and uh, the, the, the footprint of traditional WebSphere was kind of big for what <laughs> ZOSMF did at the time. ZOSMF itself has grown to do a whole lot of stuff. And, and they moved over to Liberty, which is a lot smaller and more lightweight. And so um, everybody seems to be pretty happy about that. Um, and so then, but after them, there was some Tivoli products. And, um, and I guess Zoe's built on top of it, too. And um, I know last count, there were, I think, 35 products running on Liberty on ZOS. Yeah, pretty much whatever is going to use a web interface. I mean, hopefully no one's trying to roll their own at this point. 
Well, yeah, I, God, I would hope not. Right. Um, there's enough. Uh, I mean, there's Liberty, and there's some other ones that, like you'd mentioned, that you can sit on top of. Um, I think most of the IBM products are choosing to use Liberty, right? Um, and we've made that easier for them too by including a copy with ZOS. I should I should maybe mention that starting with ZOS two three, there's a copy of Liberty that comes with ZOS. It's right there. Um, the reason we did it was because people, you know, if you had one stack product, it came with Liberty. So you had ZOSMF, you had Liberty, you were fine, whatever. Right. Now you, you get another, you know, some Tivoli product or something else that's running on top of Liberty. It came with its own Liberty. Now you've got two. We had customers with five or six different copies of it. And, oh, wait, there's a security integrity fix. Oh, you have no. to install it <laughs> six times. And so it it just created a mess. So we created one Liberty that comes with ZOS that's there for IBM stack products to use so that, you know, there's just one place and it's it's the same. They can have their own configuration and all, but the, the maintenance and things, there's just one spot. And since it's there, <laughs> nothing prevents you from just starting a server and playing around with it right. um, to see what Liberty's like and, you know, oh, let's take this app and see, you know, what it does here. You're not supported doing that. So we suggest you not use it for production things, but um, but it's there. You can certainly, you know, play around with it, demo it, you know, see how it starts and runs when it's not tangled with, you know, a stack product. You just want to start one and, and run it. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. If it's there, <laughs> can I just run anything? In you that? certainly can, <clears throat> right up until you have a problem that you need help from level two. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, it's and you could also run Open Liberty too. Um, I should probably back up and talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, middle of last year, we uh, we took the the Liberty product and we kind of broke it, and I don't know, it's kind of two thirds and one third, um, <laughs> and uh, two thirds of it is the core of Liberty and the Java EE runtime, and we open source the whole thing. It's huge. Um, I was actually at a customer when we open sourced the thing, and um, that morning one of the customers saw it and downloaded it, and he said, that's a lot of code. Because <laughs> I think he was thinking he would just go, oh, let me go poke around and see how it works. Yeah, it's a little big. Um, so so that's out there. The, the rest of it, which is, I don't know, I think it's product liberty or commercial liberty, or I'm not sure what we're supposed to call it, but um, it's the rest of it. Whatever it is, it's lowercase. <laughs> You know, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, it's it's a lot of the management stuff, the collective stuff, the the batch management features that we have for the Java batch support. That stuff's all over on the product side, um, along with, of course, support. Um, Open Liberty is just out in GitHub. You can go to GitHub and pull it down. Um, you can build it yourself if you want. I think there's built versions, you know, there you can pull down and, you know, and just run that. And uh do whatever you want with it because it's open source. Knock yourself out. And is, is the purpose of that to get people more interested in kind of the guts of it or to get it baked into more solutions or what is? I think it's just to encourage use, you know, because okay. that's kind of how the whole open source thing. People right. seem more, well, in some cases, people seem more willing to use open source stuff. So there it is. Okay. Um, and, you know, we are taking you know, um, pull requests. If you've got a change that, you know, you'd like to make to it, okay. that's, the code's that's there. Point. You can go, you know, 
give it to us, and we'll, <laughs> you know, consider it rolling it in. There's a process you have to go through to do that, but um, we're not just, you know, letting anybody dump code into it because it's underneath a lot of stuff. Yeah. So we have to be careful with it. But, um, but on the other hand, you know, if there's something that you know you need that we're not getting to, well, and we actually did have a customer open a PMR. Um, and the code that was the, you know, issue for them was in the open source part. And they told us, yeah, in this part at this line, you need to do this. Oh, wow. If all PMRs. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know. Um, so it was kind of cool. You mentioned uh, something earlier that uh, I've, I've um, never really understood, and maybe you can help uh, ser- servlet. What the heck's a servlet? Okay. Um, it's just a programming model. So when an HTTP request hits a server, it's got to figure out what to do with it. Um, so if it ends in .html, then it's probably an HTML file that it goes and fetches and hands back. It's just really file serving something for your browser to render. Or it's a, a oh, I'm going to get in trouble for pronouncing it wrong. Is it a GIF or a JIF? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> comment in the comment. Yeah. Are there comments Terminal for this talk. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a comment section? For there this? are always <laughs> There's Twitter. Anyway, so, yeah, okay. So anyway, so whatever that is, or a JPEG, or however that's pronounced, um, <laughs> you know, it's really just file serving. Um, handing back something for the browser to render. But you can also have um, a, a servlet, which is a Java program. It implements a programming model. It gets control and gets handed um, a request object and a response object. And the request object gives it access to parameters and other stuff that came with the request. And the response object is a place where it can put the response. So typically what you write into the response is you know, HTML or something. And um, and that gets sent back to the to the browser to to do whatever. So there's an in pipe and an out pipe, pipe basically. Okay. Yeah. And so it, but it's then it's a way to dynamically do something, right? So if instead of serving up, you know, a table that's fixed, you want to go to DB2 and get my current balance, you know, that's that's not buried in the application someplace. You've got to programmatically go get that. So a servlet, a Java program that can use. JDBC, which is the Java database connection, something I don't know. Anyway, that works. Um, that works. Yeah, Check it out. sure. Check we'll it say out. it's that um, <laughs> to reach out to a database and do stuff, and you know, get an answer back and build a you know a table or whatever it needs and hand that back. There's a lot of hand gesturing going on here yeah, that I'm yeah. hoping this this works. And you're doing a very good job of not hitting the mic when you yeah. do that. Oh, <laughs> fine, that jinx me. Uh, <laughs> And well, but you're touching on something that's kind of interesting and and unique to to Z, and that WL what's something that WLM can do that another platform might not, um, is that you know the, oh, so the, the the transaction comes in that says I want to get a uh, build a table showing the account balances, so it's going to open up a JDBC connection to a database, do some stuff, maybe do some transactions, and build the answer, report it back through the servlet out to the requester. Uh, that's very good. That's a very <laughs> thank you. It's a mousetrap like uh, path going out there. Mm. Now, if if I was running on uh, constrained uh, resources, a platform might say, "Wow, I need to I need to hit a certain SLA for this request coming in. I'm going to give full resources to the web server and starve this other thing in the background." Whereas mm. something WLM can do is say, well, "This this is actually the path. Let me make sure this whole path 
has the resources needed. It can, yeah. It depends, of course, how you configure it. But um, <laughs> let's just well, assume it's been configured correctly. correctly. Yeah. Well, so the the this thing is what about, happens when you have development guys. guys yeah. <laughs> well, because the thing about WLM is WLM will do a great job of doing whatever it is you told it to do. Right. There's an assumption that you want what you told it to do. Mm. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, so I'm. WLM is going to be aware that um, transactions running in WebSphere are reaching across into DB2, maybe, or at least that there's a, you know, there's a hierarchy of dependency there right. that it understands about the the flow. Um, there's, I don't want to go too deep, but there's two different ways you can talk to DB2 from WebSphere. It's called Type 2 and Type 4. Um, type we don't talk about type 3. <laughs> Just don't. There actually is one, but I can't remember. There's a type 1, too, but for some reason those went away. And I knew what they were They once. weren't as good. That's no. why. Um, type 3 was weird, too, as I remember. But anyway. All, all so, the even ones are good. good. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Let's go with that. So type 4 is, is a remote TCP IP connection. So the application gets a, a TCP IP pipe to the database, and um, it comes in as a remote request to the database. Um Whereas, uh, which is what you do if you were off-platform running on, you know, distributed somewhere and you needed to talk to DB2 on ZOS, or even if, you know, you're just on the wrong LPAR or the wrong Sysplex or, or you need to talk to something that's running somewhere else, Type 4 is the way you do that. Yep. Um, when you're on ZOS, you can use a Type 2 connector, which is local, um, and Type 2 stays on our thread. So for the ZOS people, there's a TCB inside WebSphere. Taking care of business. No, I there don't think go. that's what TCB stands for. for. No. Okay. I think it's task control block. Oh. All I know is when you draw TCBs, you draw them in blue because they're sad because they have to do work. <laughs> wow. There is some really wow. cool information in that one. All right. Cool's a word. <laughs> yeah. You draw virtual storage in yellow because it's hard to see because it's virtual too. See, this is that developer <laughs> secrets that you don't don't get. I'm anywhere just going to go back to my office and just just hit stop when you guys are done. <laughs> All right. Anyway, what were we talking? Oh yeah, the TCB. <laughs> so there's a TCB, a thread, really, inside of WebSphere, and the application's running on Love it. Love their needs yogurt. To, it needs to talk to. <laughs> It needs to talk to uh, DB2. And so um, instead of going through TCP IP, because you've told us we're on the same um, OS image, the same LPAR as DB2, we can reach cross-memory into it. So uh. the code goes from Java down into native code and then reaches, it just is a PC instruction for the real geeks, mm-hmm. across into DB2. And so from a WLM perspective, because we're talking about WLM, remember? Yep. Um, <laughs> That um, we're all still on that thread inside um, WebSphere with, you know, identified to WLM as, as, you know, this sort of work. And so it's managing it all as part of that one thing. It's not actually even running in DB2 on a thread in DB2. It's still on our thread reached across, um, which is, which is kind of cool. It gets into then debates about, uh, you know, zip offload um, because the Type 4 stuff will zip offload because you're in Java on the WebSphere side and you're remoted into db2 so it's an enclave mode srb so it offloads to zips um but uh sorry but uh <laughs> that's when a you're, whole uh, other session yeah. we're gonna have to do but, yeah but there's a there, there's a uh, real quick uh you, you mentioned uh pc or program call aren't those usually um considered uh, special instructions how do i do that on Oh, you don't have to. It's all built into the resource adapter. But isn't there a security 
concerns by doing that? Um, it's not an authorized instruction. The um, the PC target may have authorization requirements. Um, the DB2 one doesn't. Um, you can call it as a regular old key eight problem state guy. Um, but what DB2 is doing when they get control is they're looking at the security environment of the guy that called them, whether it's a, a task level ACE, um, so there's security on the thread itself or the address space or you know credentials that come across on the on the flow. So um, so it's all. Properly so the, locked down. There isn't anything special I have to do on no, no. on WebSphere to, to no. do secure stuff. No, not for that. No, I mean to really to pick a Type Four or Type Two connector. It's just a config. You put a two or a four, I think. <laughs> um, Hold on, <laughs> right, yeah, make a note of that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm probably wrong. It's probably more complicated. <laughs> well, we're. Um, we're actually getting to the bottom of the hour, and I'm afraid of asking any more questions because we're going to put out a whole buttload of new terms yeah. uh, for each one of these things. So, uh, Is there a glossary that goes with these when you put them out? It really kind of needs to be. I mean, you're throwing out a lot of a lot of things like ACE and PCs, and, and we're going to have to go out and do separate episodes on all this stuff now. Key 8, you mentioned Key 8. You did, yeah. We haven't done anything on key storage, I don't think, so... Oh, keyed storage is awesome. It's one of the best things about ZOS. So yeah, we have to we'll have to come back to that later. But let's uh, take this opportunity to thank Mr. Fawis for coming. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. Wish we could say the same. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully, some of the parts will make it through editing. This one will. <laughs> oh man, Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off. <laughs>